Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. Before we jump into the episode, my friends, I just want to raise awareness for actually two organizations. Every episode, I typically raise awareness for one organization and donate to the organization. But today, I'm going to do two. I'm feeling very generous. We're going to raise awareness for the organization All Kings and for the Unstoppable Foundation. I've interviewed folks from both organizations on this show before. I'm a huge fan of what each of them are up to. So I'm going to link to both in the show notes. I'll link to the episodes in the show notes as well. And please join me in donating. Now, this episode was a raw and real one for me. I'm right in the thick of being a new father, and I hope it covers the depth of what it means to be a parent. This one is a really meaningful one to me. So let's settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy this solo episode with yours truly. Hey, friends, and welcome back to another solo episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. In this solo episode, I want to explore this new identity that I'm stepping into, my fatherhood. I had, it's interesting, I had so many expectations of what it was to be a parent and what it was to be a father before I came into fatherhood. And I also really tried hard not to think about it at all. And a lot of the things that were coming into my view, my consciousness around parenthood were things like get sleep while you can. It's the most magical time of your life. There, there are all these things that people say, and there's nothing wrong with any of them, but I, it's not like I did a lot of digging on this, by the way, but I didn't really find a lot of texture around what the journey of parenthood is like. And I thought this is going to be a really healing thing for me. Even if no one listens to this episode, I am going to have the gift of going through what my journey in granted only the first five weeks of parenthood has been like so far. It's going to be an interesting time capsule for me. And hopefully my stories serve in some way for you because I want to share about the full depth of being a father and being a parent. So I think the first part that I'm going to start with, I want to be really careful with this part because I I want to reiterate in this episode over and over and over again, the way that I view moms and motherhood. It's just the most sacred thing. Watching Ari with my son, Nathan, is so magical and so beautiful. I have nothing but incredible respect and reverence for motherhood. So any struggles that I'm sharing aren't because I think that moms don't deserve all the praise and all the attention. They're just things that they're personal experiences that I had a hard time with. In Ari's pregnancy, I had a hard time with It wasn't invisibility, but that's something that I've struggled with my whole life, honestly, is feeling like my needs are not in the top of the pecking order. And so a lot of my inner work has has been, even before Ari was pregnant, around allowing myself to be seen, allowing my needs to be expressed, my desires, my wants. And pregnancy is this time where, of course, the 
mother-child relationship is inherent because the mom is growing the baby and the mom's body is going through all these hormonal changes. My body is not really going through any changes except to kind of be there for Ari and, and be there for my partner. So a lot of times when people would ask how we were doing, the check-in was really, how is Ari doing? And Mike, are you taking care of Ari? Which was something I gladly did as much as possible. I loved cooking her meals, doing the dishes, really stepping up to make sure that I was taking care of her because her body's going through all these massive changes and my body's not. But it was hard to, I felt like a passenger who was along for the ride in a lot of ways. And as parenthood has emerged, that continues to be, they're, they're very, it's very easy for it to become, how's Nathan, how's things with him, how's being a dad, and not connecting with other things that were really important to me pre-parenthood. So pregnancy was when that really began. And yeah, it was a struggle for me. I, I mean, I and that's already been a wound my whole life, feeling like I'm invisible and that I have to fight to be seen. Stepping into parenthood, I think I'm I'm going to try and do this in a linear way. I have notes in front of me, and I might bounce around a little bit, but that's just the way my mind works. So I'm going to start with the birth process. Going to the hospital, Ari and I spent probably 12 hours from going to the hospital until Nathan was delivered. And the birth process was really nothing short of magical. I mean, for at least from my vantage point, Ari would have a totally different story. <laughs> if she wants to share her story, she's open to. I know that giving birth wasn't, she wouldn't describe it as magical. But the miracle of watching Nathan emerge in that moment, I, I had some, I, I had lots of good advice from dads. And, and one of the things I heard from dads was don't put any pressure on yourself to feel the love immediately. It's probably going to be there for Ari. For the woman, it's more likely because she carried the baby for nine months and, and pushed the baby out and got to really feel what he was, even though she couldn't see him, could feel him moving around. There's just a more natural connection between the mother and child. And so I, I tried not to put any pressure on how I would react when Nathan was born. But when he was born, it was nothing short of magical. So I didn't expect that I would immediately feel this overwhelming sense of love, but that's exactly what happened. When he emerged, all three of us were crying for very different reasons. Nathan was crying because that's what a baby does when he's born. Ari was in a little bit of pain. And I was overwhelmed with the beauty of seeing my son emerge. It was a total out-of-body experience. I was just filled with so much love. And I know that might be a cliche, but that's exactly what happened for me. We were in the hospital for two days after he was born. That I didn't really have any expectation for, but we must have been consulted in, in the two days we were there. Our parents visited, our siblings visited. So we had some visitors and, and it was really nice to have our friend, our not friends, our, our family meet Nathan right away. But yeah, there's, there's a whole different conversation we could have about the medical system. I think that doctors and hospitals are amazing at helping babies be delivered, but this isn't really the conversation that I want to have. I'm, I'm not talking about epidurals or uh, managing the birth process. I just want to share the experience of after Nathan was born, how overwhelming that was. 
this was something that I didn't really feel clued into, but we had breastfeeding lactation consultants come in. We had random nurses come in. There, there were, there must've been 20 different people who would just come in, say, hi, I'm so-and-so. This is my title. A pediatrician was another one. And here's some things. We're going to run this test and we're going to explain this thing. It felt like we were hydrating from a fire hose. It was just so overwhelming. We were already running on so, so much adrenaline and running on fumes. And it just, I, I don't know the word. I, I guess I felt a little bit frustrated with the way that it was conducted in the hospital. I, I, I felt like we were being bombarded with so much information and being a new parent in two days, you're just, you're given this baby. We have no idea what we're doing. And then eventually we leave, which leads me to probably the first big story <laughs> that happened in my experience with Nathan. So as we were discharged from the hospital, which is a good thing, that means that Nathan's healthy and able to leave the hospital. I had no idea how to, I mean, I got the car seat checked, but we drove to the hospital. The car seat was checked, inspected, everything was safe, but I had no idea what I was doing with the car seat. So when we were discharged, Ari was waiting in the hospital lobby with Nathan and I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to get the car seat out from <laughs> the car. There's this little latch on the car seat. The only, all I had to do is like press this button pull the car seat up, but I just, I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to do it. I asked one of the a, a parking attendants if he could help me do it because he seemed like maybe he was a dad and, and would have an idea, but he had no idea. And we had to actually call one of the nurses from upstairs in the hospital to come down and help me. And that was the very first time that I felt immense shame as a dad. We are... As parents, I think we're thrown into this thing called parenthood without any real preparation. We could take classes, and I interviewed someone on this podcast. I've interviewed multiple people who are parents and and picked their brain about what it's like, but there's very little that I, I feel that we could do to prepare for the overwhelm that is being a parent and being bombarded with all these new things. So in the hospital, it was all this new information. Am, am I expected to retain this? Am I expected to know it? And immediately, the first thing that we had to do after leaving the hospital, I just, I felt this immense shame. I was like, Ari's going to think I'm a big loser, an idiot. I can't figure this thing out. And then we have to drive him home in New York City traffic. This, this whole thing is overwhelming. And it just, there were many moments like that early on where, I just, I didn't feel prepared at all for the storm that was about to hit me. And it didn't really get easier right off the bat for me. So when we got in the car, Nathan was screaming a little bit and we, we put on this song, it's called Down by the Bay. If you're a new parent, definitely get this on your playlist, Down by the Bay. I would recommend White Noise too. But <laughs> anyway, that helped Nathan calm down. And when we got home, we had a baby nurse for 10 days, which I I recommend if you have the means, I, I'm privileged enough to have the means to be able to afford working with a baby nurse. We learned so much in those 10 days. Where to go from here? I think in the beginning, everything just felt so hard. And I this wasn't explained to me. And And I know that everyone goes through the process of changing a diaper and listening to a baby screaming. And I, I don't know, maybe some people don't find it that hard, but I, I found it really challenging to just have no idea what I was doing. 
And there was also this period of grief of the life that once was. And that, that felt true for me and Ari. The relationship that we had before Nathan was completely shattered in a lot of ways, in beautiful ways, for sure. This is exactly the life that we signed up for. We both, early on in our relationship, Ari and I committed to how strongly we wanted to be parents at some point in our lives. And and we knew it was a very aligned choice that we wanted to be parents now in our lives. And there's this, I don't know, I mean, for Ari, there's a hormonal period of change and and postpartum depression is is a, a thing that is very common for women and for me i definitely felt a level of grief for the life that ari and i had for the relationship that was and this emergence of a new chapter i i felt there there were approximations of this in my life when i had other huge changes like going to college and leaving the nest of my family leaving college to start a job. There have been other big transitions in my life. And I think the holy shit moment of leaving the hospital and we've got a kid here and we have no idea what we're doing, even with the help of a baby nurse, it just was, there were so many moments of tears. I, I wanted to, in this episode, I'm, I'm certainly going to as much as possible share stories that have come up for me because I think that story is one of the most powerfully connecting things that we have. So what was one of the first early memories? I remember one of the first day, I think the day after we got home, we, we went to the pediatrician. The pediatrician checks out Nathan, makes sure that everything's okay. And just getting Nathan to the doctor was another moment of, holy shit, I have no idea what I'm doing. We had to bring diapers, wipes, change of clothes, burp cloth. We had to put cream in case he has a rash on his butt. There, there's so many things on this checklist of, I used to just walk out the door. These these little things that that I would take for granted. I used to walk out the door, put my shoes on, and that's all I needed to do. And now I'm responsible for this little tiny human who without me is totally helpless. So when we were at the pediatrician, Ari and I had this moment where we looked at each other and I just started bawling my eyes out. And it was it was a combination of things. One was I just was looking at my little sweet boy and thinking, oh my God, I I can't believe Ari and I created this magical little being. And he immediately, his essence is just so sweet. He just is such a sweet person. He's already affected so many people that he's come into contact with. And there was also tears because of, this is a lot, you know, I'm really struggling. I don't know. Like I, I used to, before Nathan was born, I used to take probably three hours every morning to do things like Wim Hof breathing, meditate, read, have a peaceful cup of coffee. And I still try and do those things as much as possible, but a lot of that has gone out the window. Certainly the timing of it has gone out the window. Like it's it's not a very neatly set up morning. And so that's a, one of the things I was grieving was my relation, the, the relationship that was with me and Ari and how we were able to just do whatever we wanted. And that was, it's complete opposite now. There's also a loss of autonomy in my life that at any given moment, Ari and I could just go on a trip somewhere or even just go for a walk and not worry about it, go out for dinner. And for me, these little creature comforts like meditating, Wim Hof breathing, having a meal quietly, 
everything gets interrupted. It's it's not on my time anymore. And this kind of loss of control is another thing that I was grieving in, in my life. So in that moment at the doctor, that was very present for me. And Nathan has certainly brought up a lot of my stuff. <laughs> so I wanted to get into that. That's that's one of the things I largely wanted to focus on today that I, I certainly have, have seen very little airtime to is what are the things that I project onto Nathan? So expectations that I have as a parent, what are the expectations I had of myself that are not realistic? And what has my inner work looked like around these things? What I noticed really quickly, really early on when Nathan came home was that a cry, his cry, his screaming cry was, oh, it hurts my nervous system so much. Hearing him cry continues to be so hard. And one of my armored up responses to him crying is to be angry, to have anger. Anger is a really tricky emotion for me. I learned recently, I interviewed someone on my podcast. Her name is Susan Olesic, who studies the Enneagram. And there's nine types in the Enneagram. I am an Enneagram nine. And there are three Enneagram types. Enneagram nine is one of them. So I'm one of three types that is guided in a lot of ways by anger. But my type denies anger, which makes total sense to me. I have been in total denial of the fact that anger lives in me in my lifetime, I, have, I, I haven't seen too much healthy expression of anger. And with men, I think anger is this gnarly emotion. And, and I am still working thoroughly on being in more right relationship with my anger. So when Nathan cries, one of the ways I might armor up when he's screaming and crying is to be angry and, and project it onto him. Like, please, please shut the F up. I'll do anything to make you stop crying, please, please, please. And and I could feel this the, the rage bubbling up in me, and that's scary for me. It's so scary to feel this anger that previously I've been able to compartmentalize and kind of tuck away in a corner. And it's it's coming up and knocking on the door too hard for me to ignore. So there's been... I, there's There was one moment where I felt that the baby nurse was changing which well, she, she gave Nathan a bath and then was changing him. And Nathan, for the better part of that entire 15 to 20 minutes, I don't know how long it was. I think it was 15 to 20 minutes, was screaming, wailing. And I started to feel a lot of anger. So can she please, can she stop? Why are we bathing? He, he sounds like he's so much pain. And I, I could feel that intensity, the, the heat of that anger. And I, I remember looking at Ari and eventually dropping into like, I felt the anger and she's like, I, she's like, I know I, I get it. And then I, I looked at her right in the eye and I said, it just, it hurts hearing him cry like that. Really hurts. And below the anger, there was this acknowledgement of the pain that I felt hearing my, my little boy cry and the helplessness for, for me that I wanted to be able to do something, but sometimes he's just going to cry. And there's, there's very little that I can do about that. I cried gutturally for 10 minutes. And it felt like I came out from a sauna or a good run or fill in the blank for however you might release endorphins. It, it felt like this massive release of energy. And 
allowing myself to feel my anger and then drop into the pain that is below my anger and feeling into that. I've said to Ari and I've said to other people countless times at this point, I, I just don't know how I would do fatherhood. I don't know how I would do this dance if I hadn't done a lot of inner work. And that continues to be a really big focal point for me. As Nathan gets older, I want to model to him that I am forever unfinished, that I'm forever growing, that I'm not perfect, which leads to the, the next part of my work that I've really been addressing. It sounds silly to say this out loud, but it, it's felt true to me. I, I had this misconception before Nathan was here, and even in the beginning of when he was here, because in the very beginning, he basically eats, goes to sleep, wakes up to eat again, goes to sleep. So I had this misconception that if I was perfect enough, and if you're watching me on YouTube, you can see I did the air quotes. If you're listening, I did air quotes. That if I was perfect enough, that if I just had this good enough energy and, and didn't react to him crying and was totally in tune with him, that he would be, he would, he wouldn't cry. Not that I really believe he would never cry, but basically that if I was in control enough of my stuff, that it would create this magical experience for Nathan. And like I said, it feels a little bit silly to say that out loud, but that is, in a lot of ways, a standard I've held myself to my whole life is that I don't want to make space for the fact that I'm messy and I've got my own junk that I'm working through. Even in a way, you know, in my inner work, a lot of times I come across this part of me that is, it's, it kind of manages all of my personalities and it wants me to do everything gracefully, whatever that means too, by the way. Like, I want to have a temper tantrum gracefully. I want to do it the right way. I want to be a parent the right way. And given the fact that being Nathan's daddy, sometimes I'm sleep deprived. A lot of times I'm sleep deprived. Sometimes he's screaming and we have no idea what's going on. There is very little room for me to do it right. That's just not a thing. And that's been really hard for me to make space for, to make space for the fact that man, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm trying this new thing. I, I can't possibly get him not to cry. I just have to be with him as he's crying and keep telling him it's okay. And if I'm not okay, I need to find outlets to process that. So one of the outlets for me, there's uh, my coach told me this really interesting story. He said that him and his wife, they work with someone who they said he has the most grounding even keeled presence about him. Like it, there's, there's just this aura about him that this guy is calm and centered at any given time. And my coach and his wife asked, what's your secret? And he said, I scream into a pillow every day and I, I punch my bed and I, I do whatever I have to do to move all of that emotion through me at any given time. And that has been one of my saviors as a father. I, I just, I've been able to, for most of my life, get away with the fact that I don't process my anger fully like that, but it's, it's gotten to a point where I, in so many moments, I could feel the like, oh, this is so hard. I'm so out of control. I don't know what to do. And that energy has got to go somewhere. If it doesn't, if I repress my anger, I notice that I start to get judgmental, critical of myself, of others. And having that outlet has been instrumental for me. I've really needed that. It's also reminded me of this concept 
called Fallback. I interviewed a lovely human, a, a beautiful human who is a mother, and I imagine a fantastic mother. Her name is Valerie Libsai. I forget what number episode it is. I think it's 81. I'll link to it in the show notes. But she wrote a book on this concept called Fallback. And what Fallback discusses, I'm going to do my best to articulate this clearly. Essentially, in adult development, in human development, we a lot of times we emerge from more primitive stages to thinking the whole world is about us to a more socialized state to understanding that our family has a worldview and everyone has perspectives, but kind of get entrenched in, in the socialized mind. It's really common to get entrenched in the beliefs that we have are the right beliefs and not to really be able to perspective take on other people's beliefs or think that we have autonomy to choose our own beliefs. Like we're indoctrinated in a socialized mind. We are indoctrinated into the beliefs that we were born into. Usually our parents, culture, religion, things like that. In the self-authored state, that's where in, of development, that's where we start to realize our agency, our autonomy, that we have choice of our beliefs, that we can make up the stories that we want to believe in our life, that we are constantly projecting and making up stories. And anyway, there's more to it. There's self-transformed, which I, I don't know as much about, but self-transformed, from my understanding, is that you understand at any given point that you can take on any number of beliefs that you have, so that you you aren't just this one set of beliefs, even if they're really empowering beliefs, that you are your multitude of many. There's an understanding of the systems that we operate in. And in this concept of fallback, which is juxtaposed in adult development theory, it says that basically when we are triggered, if we are in a lower center of gravitational pull, which a kid certainly does, a kid is the, the most undeveloped a child is the most undeveloped human you could have, literally doesn't even have a personality yet. So there's certain factors, triggers, being around people who are younger, being under stress. All these things are, are intersecting in a way that have brought me into this concept of fallback that I have studied where I feel less developed. Like there's, there's this more primitive seven-year-old in me that might come out at any given time who throws a temper tantrum and isn't present or evolved, again, in air quotes, enough to, to really be there and feel whatever is happening to me. I'm, I'm in this state of overwhelm. And what fallback does is actually celebrates that part of us, that if we can't embrace all of who we are, and if I can't embrace all of who I am and pretend that I don't have this angry, immature little seven-year-old in me who's guarding something that matters to me, then it's in some way going to unconsciously dictate my life. So I know that that's, I'm, I'm starting to get into theory more than experience here, but I, I'm trying to think if there's been a practical example that's worth sharing here. Here's one that just comes up a lot. In the middle of the night, if I'm doing a feeding at 2 a.m. and I'm on little sleep already, and Nathan is screaming and I go to feed him and, and he won't take the bottle and is, continues to scream. The, the most evolved version of me would probably go, it's okay. He's a baby. This is what babies do. Babies, of course, don't understand that the milk is right there in the bottle waiting for him. He's a little bit hysterical. He just wants me to give him undivided attention and love. That is not what happens in me. <laughs> so in fallback, I'm I'm so hijacked by the the level of out of control it is 
that I immediately revert to. He's so fucking annoying. Can't he, like I'm putting the bottle right there. Please just any please just shut up. Please, 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 please. Like doing anything in my power to make it go away. And one thing I could do is deny that that's in me and, and try and override that. And another thing I can do is after I, you know, in the moment, it's not really the right time necessarily. But after the fact, I might go to my journal and journal about what that was for me. And so there's a part of me that when a baby's screaming in my face just hasn't built the capacity to have my executive function, my rational capacity to really be there with him. And that's okay. That helps me build more compassion for myself. That helps me develop develop more patience. Patience and grace are two things that I've really, really been working on. And one of the ways in my estimation to foster patience and grace is for me to have lots of self-acceptance for the times where I just don't have it. So this myth of perfection is it's been slammed in my face over and over and over again. I'm wanting to change tides here a little bit because I've really mostly been focused on how hard it is. And, and I think for good reason, I wanted to share how hard being a dad has been at various times because I think it will, well, first of all, I already feel the level of healing of just feels amazing to share and allow myself to be seen this way. If someone else is listening to this, if you're listening and you're about to be a dad, or if you've been a dad and felt isolated in your experience, I my hope is that you realize that you're not alone. And, and that's my hope with this too, is that I know that I'm not alone. I'm wanting to shift now to some of the really beautiful moments about being a dad. It has not only been really hard things, it's been really beautiful. If you're watching on YouTube, this part might be a little bit better, but Nathan makes all these these expressions on his face are are so beautiful. And my wife, Ari, and I have so much fun mimicking his face and doing all the things he does. So when he is <laughs> a lot of times when he's rooting, he's he kind of like uh, he does this like woodpecker thing. He kind of like bobs his head on my chest. And sometimes I get annoyed by it, but it's the sweetest thing. It's so cute. He sucks on his hand for self-soothing. He's got all these little tendencies that because I watch him so much every single day, I'm really getting to know so much about him. And there's this beautiful thing actually about the fact that, man, I, I don't feel this, trust me, I don't feel this way every moment, but there's something beautiful about the fact that he's not able to communicate with words because it, it builds this intimacy of uh, really seeking to understand him before he's able to articulate it. And, and we're starting to get to know a lot about his preferences. Well, it's been, a, it's been a journey. It's not like we really have it down so well. But we know, for example, that he doesn't usually cry to get his diaper changed. A lot of times that, that seems to be really common for babies is that when they're screaming, they're hungry, they want their diaper changed, they want to be held. He seems to respond a lot to motion. So we take him for walks outside, which have been beautiful. A lot of times when he's really under distress, I will put him on my body and kind of dance with him and sing him songs. So there's a song from Tarzan called Son of Man that I've been singing to him a lot. And it's my, it's really my beautiful ode to him. It's not my words, but Phil Collins wrote a beautiful song. I, I'm sure if you've seen Tarzan, you know the song Son of Man, but it's really a lot of, in a lot of ways about the journey of boy to man. And that life is this 
huge journey uh, ahead of him that you can't possibly know what's going to happen, but that he's going to, he's going to be this beautiful person that is going to be on a quest to understand what it means to be him. And when I sing it to him, almost a hundred percent of the time, it, it seems to be soothing. He's got this look up at me. This is another one of his faces. He looks up at me like when I'm bouncing him and it's, it's such a beauty to behold as he's looking into my eyes like that. There is also another beautiful moment that's coming to mind. So after Son of Man, I sang to him. I started to sing for good, the song from Wicked. And Ari heard that I put it on and was singing it to him. So we as a family were all hugging each other, singing for good. And Ari and I locked eyes. There's a line. I forget exactly what the line is, but I think it's, we come into our lives for a reason. And the people here or most help us learn to grow if you've seen wicked or know the song then you'll you'll know the part i'm talking about but ari and i locked eyes at the part where it says the people in our lives help us most learn and grow and i just totally lost it i cried the entire rest of the song and we were all huddled together so there have been so many tender sweet beautiful moments and including some of the times of pain where ari and i both just look at each other like we ain't got it right now this is so hard which sometimes leads to overtired laughter. We're both just cracking up because it's just, <laughs> this is so much like what the heck are we supposed to do besides laugh? Sometimes it's cry. I notice a lot of times for me that when the overwhelm gets to a certain point, I either, the release valve is either laughter or crying. There's been lots of both since Nathan has been born. And it's, it's beautiful. As I'm talking in real time here, I'm, I'm realizing how all these challenges, I feel like they're orchestrated in a beautiful way by the universe for, for us to learn and grow, for me to learn and grow. Luckily, I have been looking at all of these things as opportunities to learn and grow, and including the times where I feel like a victim and feel, woe is me, I can't believe all this is happening to me, to me, to me, to me. There's There's been lots of that too. Another thing that I really, really wanted to talk about in this episode, and I, I kind of wish I led with this, but I'm going to spend most of the rest of the time here talking about this. The respect that I have for moms, the superpower of being a mom, the reverence I have for moms, it's it, it blows my mind. I cannot believe, like I am in awe all the time when I see Nathan breastfeeding with Ari when I see the way that Ari cares for him, is pumping breast milk, all the different things that she does to take care of him. And this expectation that moms are supposed to go back to work after a certain amount of time, even if it's six months. I mean, it's great as a society that we've made progress and it's not whatever it used to be, three or four weeks that a lot of companies are waking up to the fact that being a mom is hard. But what are what where are we as a society that we value working at a, a corporation that is mostly just generating profit for people that already are doing really well where are we as a society that we are prioritizing that and that moms are forced to go back to work and not be able to be fully present being a mom is a full-time job i had this misconception that Yes, yeah, so of course, a baby's going to cry, a baby's a lot of work, but I had this misconception that it was almost going to be time off, not a vacation per se, but that taking parental leave was going to feel in a way like a break from work. <laughs> <laughs> 
laugh out loud, Mike. That is not the case. But witnessing Ari with him has been nothing short of a miracle. I, I, that, I keep invoking that word over and over again. And the fact that at some point in the next 10 weeks or so, she's going to be demanded to go back to work, it just feels wrong. And I think that so much is demanded of women and of moms. That's just not right. I mean, the deck is stacked in so many ways for men to have the easiest life. And and that's bullshit. It's not fair. So everything that I watch a mom, every time I, I do my best, and if you're a mom listening to this, I, I, I will do my best to say to you in person if I ever see you, if you're a mom listening to this, I have the utmost respect for you. You are superheroes. If you're a single dad or a, a, a dad that's not working as the mom is working and you're doing all the daddy duty stuff, I have so much respect for you too. These are not positions that are celebrated, it seems, in our society, being a stay-at-home mom. It's almost looked at as the support function, at least this is my projection. It's looked at as the support function for the person who's going out and doing work and generating money. I think it's the exact opposite. I think the person, like in, in this case right now, me working, I have the, the way less important, easier job than a, a stay-at-home mom has has one of the most important and a stay-at-home dad, one of the most important jobs ever. And I celebrate the shit out of that. We need to make a turn as a culture around how we look at stay-at-home parents. It's such an important job. We know how formative or how important the formative years of childhood is in, in the person you become. And we just don't have systems that are really supportive of that. It makes it really hard to be sleep deprived, to be a nurturing, caring parent, to have to go to work. We're expected to be superheroes. And parents are superheroes in a lot of cases. So I have just the utmost compassion, reverence, love. I, I bow down to moms, to stay-at-home moms. And the fact that many of you are, are confronted with the choice of having to work a full-time job so like, let's get our societal standards and priorities in order. Raise What's more important than raising healthy kids, right? Profit of, of already really profitable corporations? Come on. I know other countries are, are certainly closer to this. And I think Scandinavian countries, they, they give at least a year of maternity and, and parental leave. And a, another thing that I've really felt brushed up against as a parent is this sense of pressure that's put on the nuclear family. Ari and I recently started, and, and I, to a certain extent, have studied blue zones. Blue zones are the areas in the world that have the highest concentration of centenarians, people who live 100 years. So the highest percentage of people by population that live to be 100 years old. One of the through lines of blue zones is that there's a built-in sense of community. And I feel that that would be such a more generative way of operating. The U.S. is so individualistic. There's lots of beautiful things that come from that. And I don't, it just doesn't feel right that parenting is, there's so much burden placed on the nuclear family to raise the child. Now, luckily, Ari and I have family that has been incredibly supportive that lives pretty close by. And luckily, we come from pretty good means. So we're, we're very privileged in that way. But the pressure that is put on nuclear families to provide for 
their children would be so alleviated in some way by community. And the people that live the longest, richest lives, not rich in terms of having the most money, but richest in terms of fulfilling, meaningful, connected, strong relationships, there's just much more of a built-in sense of community. And I know that Ari and I have already been looking for that. We live in Hoboken, New Jersey. We've both been pretty intentional about reaching out to people who live in proximity to us because it's just such an important, this can't be done alone. And that's brought up another element of my own work is that I, I fancy myself an introvert, someone who can get very individualistic in, in my own right, someone who gets things done on my own. And asking for help has been really hard for me. I want to be the guy who, like, there's something really alluring for some reason about being the guy who, on very little sleep, is still a present parent and running a business and doing the podcast, doing all these things. And, man, I want to let go of that. I don't want to be, like, that's exhausting. Who wants to live like that? So that's been definitely an identity that I'm working on letting go of, the fact that I think I need to be that that strength is doing it alone and going it alone and being able to persevere through these tough times by myself. No, real strength is having a sense of community. So I, I know I actually have friends and colleagues who live in multi-generational homes who who live with their parents and their children and even maybe their grandparents. And that's a, that seems like a good start. Seems like it could be really helpful to have more than just your nuclear family. But I'm just wondering if there's ways that as a society, we can make more space for the fact that it's really hard to, to be functioning at any level as a parent outside of being a parent is really hard. And it seems like having more of a built-in sense of community, which is so foreign in America, would be really, really helpful. As I move towards the, the very back end here, I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't get to today, but this has already been, I, I hope that you're enjoying it. I have no idea how useful this is going to be for anyone else, but I've certainly been enjoying this. It's, it's such a fun process for me to be able to really just share all of myself like this. I, I feel as I'm looking at myself on camera, I feel really seen by me. Anyway, I wanted to end with, I, I got prompted by my friend and colleague with this question and he asked me something along the lines of who is Mike Trugman becoming? Like what is, my dad always says, what's the family culture that you want to create? And, and they're, they're both really big questions for me. They're huge questions, but I guess one of the first things that comes up when I, when I, when I step into the future, Mike Trugman, who is Mike Trugman now that he wasn't before? Like what has being a parent brought out in me in, in the best way possible? One thing it's brought out in me is that just this grace and patience has, has really been helpful for me, really allowing myself the ability to not be okay and just be like, this is hard. And to go outside and say to Ari, this, I'm having a really hard time or to tell my parents I'm having a really hard time. I've been really good a lot of my life at pretending that I'm, I'm happy-go-lucky, gipper, things are good. I'm naturally smiling. I am a lot of those things. And a lot of those, a lot of times I am really doing great and life is extraordinary. And I do have a lot of joy in my life. Being a parent, as I step into the next Mike Trugman, being a parent has brought out this level of self-acceptance and compassion for all of me. It's really surfaced these parts of myself that I'm not proud of, especially the, the anger and the rage that comes up sometimes when it feels, when I feel out of control, when life feels out of control. And 
I really feel like I've built, I'm continuing to build this capacity for life is going to have so many challenges, but I'm surrounded by, I'm surrounded by so much love. There's so many amazing people in my life. I am capable of way more than I ever thought. Some things that have come up that I haven't even mentioned in this in this podcast so far. We our car, me and Ari's car got a flat tire, so we had to get that taken care of. That there, there's just been all these different curveballs that have happened in the five short weeks and long. They're short and long weeks that I've been a parent that I think would have thrown me into more of a tailspin before being a parent. But being a parent, I feel like just more equipped for all of the curveballs that life inevitably is going to throw me. Now I know the way the universe works. I'm, there's going to be a million curveballs that I'm not possibly ready for, and that I will have to step into that challenge and ask for more help and do all the things. But this next version of Mike Trugman, he he knows that whatever life throws at him, he's going to be okay. And I don't think I really felt that going going into like in pre- in Ari's pregnancy, I felt so much scarcity around how what's my time going to look like. Am I going to be able to provide? I just, I had so much fear about what parenting was going to be like. And now I'm doing it. I'm stepping into this thing that's so hard and I'm doing it and I'm doing it gracefully. And in the moments I'm not doing it gracefully, I'm meeting that with grace. That's, that's the meta move. So the next version of Mike Trugman, he rolls with the, the way that life rolls. Whatever life throws my way, I know that me and Ari and our families can handle that. And that, in an interesting way, when I make space for the fact that, you know, sometimes I won't be able to meet those challenges and there's a self-acceptance for the fallback parts of me that feel totally out of control, it helps me build more compassion for myself, helps me understand other people better. And that was a definite huge blind spot for me was just how hard it is to be. I have just such a newfound respect for my parents and for all parents, just how hard of a job it is to be able to raise a kid and how, how it just brings up. I, I know this is going to continue in the journey as Nathan becomes a, a person who can communicate verbally to me. And as he evolves and grows, I'm going to continue to be projecting some of my stuff onto him and I'm going to continue to work on it. So that's, that's certainly been top of mind for me. And I think there's also been an invitation to really I work hard at this already, but to, to really wear my heart on my sleeve, to, to really put it out there. I've just, I've noticed that when I can really drop in and feel what's going on in my world, and when Ari does that with me too, it's magic, including the ones, the, the, the parts that are really hard when we're both able to drop into the fact that it's really hard and whatever needs to happen, maybe it's we cry together. That's usually what it is, honestly. That if I can come into that place, love a lot of times is making space for the pain. It's making space for the beauty. And that is that totally encapsulates my experience of parenting so far. It's this beautiful ride. There's so many magical moments that we have. Every walk that I take with Nathan, I I love looking. He has these big, wide eyes, and I, I just love looking at his eyes. And yeah, I love the I love the way that he feels so at peace when we hold him. So when I can really feel that, sometimes I don't. But I, I'm really working on making space for me to feel that, feel that love, and just to be so connected to that. 
and to feel the chaos, you know, the, to celebrate the beauty and the chaos of we sit down for dinner and we put Nathan to bed and he starts crying within five minutes and one of us has to tend to him. Yeah, this feels like a really great place to end the conversation. And so my aspiration as a person, as a dad, live really as much as possible with my heart open when my heart is closed to make space for that too and to meet that with open-heartedness. And this was a really fun and meaningful episode to do. So I hope that you found it in some way engaging that it's a, a little bit of a portal into what parenthood and fatherhood is like. Thank you so much for listening. If you are a first-time listener to the show or if you've never left a review, I invite you to please leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts. It'll be linked in the show notes. It'll also be linked on YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube here, please hit the subscribe button. You can also check out the Apple Podcast link in the YouTube link. And thank you so much for listening. Sending you lots of love. Take good care. Have a good rest of your day or evening. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.